preaching through the Psalms. And now we're in a series, a section of our series, where we are studying what the Psalms teach us about God, our King. We've learned about God, our refuge, for four or five weeks. We've learned about God, our guide, for three or four weeks. And today, we are studying God, our King. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is King over all the earth. Sing a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. In a couple of weeks, the Sunday before Christmas... Christine Hackett is going to gather a bunch of people up here on the platform, and we are going to sing, and some of you out there are going to join in a little bit too, the Hallelujah Chorus. And you know that majestic piece of music written by George Frederick Handel, a part of Handel's Messiah. And Handel said as he wrote uh, the Hallelujah Chorus that the notes just came to him, he said, it was as though heaven opened up, and for a brief moment I could hear the choirs of heaven. And in the London debut, King George II sat there transfixed, and then as the Hallelujah Chorus began, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns, the Lord God Omnipotent reigneth. King George II rose to his feet, and people saw him up there in the box, and the king stood up, and so everybody stood up. And it's become a tradition around the world that when the Handel's Messiah is played and they get to the Hallelujah Chorus, people stand up, not in honor of King George II, but in honor of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. And we love the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, Psalm 47 is the Hallelujah Chorus of the Old Testament. And many of the New Testament phrases that Handel picked up have their origin in Psalm 47. And in the events of 2 Samuel chapter 6, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. And we celebrate the ascension of the Lord. You'll see in your outline, in your program, you can follow along, that this psalm shouts out 
Glory to the Lord for his ascension on high. Now, what's going on? What is the historical context? Do you remember? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we are told about the day that King David brings the ark of God home to Jerusalem. However, since uh, Israel escaped from Egypt and through the wilderness wanderings and through the conquest of the land, they carried the ark of God wherever they went. And it was a nomadic experience, but God told them one day, the day would come when He would be seated in the city of God, in the city of David, Jerusalem. And at last, that day has arrived. And David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Now down to verse 12, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of God had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. You see, that's verse 5 of Psalm 47. So we know that Psalm 47 is tied to this moment, the ascension of God to his throne. As it happens, all of God's enemies are defeated. Israel rejoices in the Lord their king, and it is all the excitement of a coronation. And you go back to England in their last coronation when Queen Elizabeth ascended to her throne, and millions of those citizens of Great Britain stood outside Westminster Cathedral, and millions and millions listened on the radio as the queen received the crown, and the throngs cheered. Well, this rising of the ark and the coronation of Queen Elizabeth is pale compared to another coronation, to another ascension. And I've taught you that every psalm, in a sense, is a messianic psalm. There are themes in every psalm that are pointing forward to realities about Jesus Christ that I need to know and that you need to know. And this is pointing forward to the ascension of Jesus Christ. Listen to Luke chapter 24. And in Luke 24, at the very end of Luke, in verse 50, following the, the resurrection of Jesus, he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. 
One of the great Bible teachers of our day is a fellow named R.C. Sproul, and, and Sproul says this, you know, whenever I'm asked to preach at a place, it takes about three years. His calendar is so full, he's booked three, four years in advance. And he says, sometimes I'm invited uh, and they give me a topic to speak on, but other times they say, speak about whatever you'd like to discuss. And he says, whenever I hear that, I always choose, without exception, to teach about the ascension of Jesus Christ, he said. Because the church understands the incarnation, Christmas, the coming of Christ. And the church understands the crucifixion and death and substitutionary atonement of Jesus and Good Friday. And the church understands the resurrection and Easter and the celebration of His triumph over death and over sin. Sproul said, but the church neglects the capstone of it all, the ascension of Jesus Christ, and the great reality that we are taught in the New Testament about the present rule of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, we are told about the power of Jesus Christ which is exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God, listen to this, this is now, this is in the present age now, and God placed all things under His feet, and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body. There is in, in the wider church this sort of idea that's in dispensational theology that one day Jesus will become the ruler. You know, it'll be a sort of thousand-year event that's somewhere down the road. And that is a horrible mistake. Because Jesus is not going to ascend somewhere down the road. He already has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus already has placed all things under His feet. And now, today, He rules. Do you understand this? This is what is currently true about Jesus Christ. That's what we just read. Are you with me? Do you understand? And as Israel rejoiced when the ark of God took its place in Jerusalem, so the disciples worshipped with great joy as Christ ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And from there we are told, He is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. You see, this is really interesting. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is revealed as King of Kings, now, that does not mean he is the best of the kings. Uh, you know, sort of like Mike Schmidt was the best third baseman, you know, who ever played, uh, if you remember that glorious day in the history of the Philadelphia Phillies. But, 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 it's not that Jesus is the best of the kings. We are taught in Ephesians 1.20 that 
that he is the king of the kings. He rules over the kings. He is the Lord of the lords. He is the sovereign one. And the Psalms say again and again and again, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You know, in my own life, when I go through good times and bad, I can think of a lot of bad times in my life. I have learned to say, you are on the throne. You are God alone. And there's something fitting and right and healing. There's something healing about that. Maybe you're going through good times right now. Maybe you're going through bad as a function of this fallen world. Yet, you must believe God is on the throne. He is in charge. The secret things belong to God. I do not know how to explain to you the reason you're going through what you're going through, but I know this. I know who is the good shepherd who is leading you through this time. Even if it's the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God is not wringing his hands saying, oh, I wonder what's going to happen in John Yenchko's life now or in your life. He's not. He is on the throne, and he is God alone. If Christ has not ascended, then we are in trouble. But instead, the New Testament says, since he has ascended, he tells us in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you know right now, there are surveyors up in heaven, and they are parceling out Al's mansion property. They're parceling out Diane's mansion property. They're parceling out Mike's mansion and his property in the new heavens and the new earth. Because Jesus said, I've gone to go prepare a place for you. Since he has ascended, we are taught in Hebrews chapter 7, he ever lives to intercede for you. Do you know what that means? It means right now he is praying for you. He's praying for you. And he's, he's at the right hand of God the Father, and he's saying, I really love that man. I really love that woman. I really love that child. Let's take care of them. Let's heal them. Let's teach them. Let's encourage them. Let's comfort them. Let's discipline them that they may grow and put off sin and put on holiness. Let's help them. That's what Jesus is saying to the Father. Hebrews 7, He ever lives to intercede for you. That's why He is able to save completely those who come to the Father through Him. It's because of His ascension. You know why else? He ascended to heaven in order, Ephesians 4, 11 says, He gave gifts to men. He, as, he descended, then He ascended, and it ties in the fact that you have elders in this church <laughs> and pastors because Jesus ascended. It says in Ephesians 4, 12, Since He ascended, He gave the apostles and the prophets, then the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers because He ascended. And that way, he doesn't just have to be at one place, but he's all over the world. And most importantly, he gives the Holy Spirit. Because he ascended, Pentecost could happen. And the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. And you walk with his presence by faith, but you walk with his presence. 
Well, the second point, if you celebrate His ascension, it means you acknowledge His kingship. And you see this in verse 2, in verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. For God is King of all the earth. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. God reigns over the nations. You have that again. And we must remember that Jesus Christ is exalted. In our church tradition, some people have noted we don't have crucifixes. We do, we do sometimes have a cross. But in, in our church, the cross is empty. If we do have a cross, the cross is empty. Because as important as it is for people to remember that Jesus died for them, He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And He has become the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is hard for us as Americans to have this high view of a king because, well, because Americans don't serve a king. If you lived in Boston at the time of the Revolutionary War and you visited a pub, as you walked in the pub, you would see a sign And the sign said this, we serve no sovereign here. And that was the American motto at the time of the revolution. Let me say that again. We serve no sovereign here in these United States. Off with tyranny. And I have a friend who's an Anglican priest. His name is John Guest, and he was sent to be an evangelist in America, and he went to Boston when he arrived. And he said, when I went to the old city of Boston and went to a pub, I saw this sign. It said, we serve no sovereign here. And he scratched his head and he thought to himself, how can I teach these people about the kingship of Jesus Christ when they will serve no sovereign? But we must serve a sovereign king. And we do not serve a a broken king. We serve a glorious king. I remember not long after I became a Christian, I met a man named Tom Skinner. Tom Skinner grew up in Harlem, in the gangs, in one of the worst neighborhoods in Harlem. And he said, when I was a kid, they took me to church a couple of times, and I wanted nothing to do with it. Because when I went into a church building, all I saw were pictures of a weak Jesus. He was dead. He was broken. And that Jesus wouldn't last a week in my neighborhood. And then, someone preached to him from Ephesians 1 verse 20 and shared with him, The glorious picture of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords and Skinner, a big and strong man, fell to his knees and became a worshiper of Jesus. And then his life was transformed and he became a great preacher and a great community leader, especially targeting the African-American ghettos in Detroit and in Los Angeles and in New York and in Newark, empowering people to rise up before a great Savior 
and to serve a great God and to throw off the chains of sin and of poverty and to, to move forward in their lives at a powerful impact. But he said, I needed a great Savior, and when I met him, my life was changed. Well, the same is true for you. Do you agree with me today? Our Savior is great. He is the King. But it also means that we are not living in the democratic republic of God. We are living in the kingdom of God. Oh, yes, it's a spiritual kingdom, but He's the King. He's our master. And as Martin Hahn told us a while back, every time I sin or every time I say thanks but no thanks, I am committing treason. I'm committing cosmic treason against my sovereign. What about you? Is he your king? If he is, you know what you have to do? Well, one of the things, yeah, of course you need to follow him and obey him. But apparently, according to verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, you need to shout and sing his praises. And this just leaps off the page in this psalm. The most basic response as the ark of God came to Jerusalem was what? The most basic response at the coronation of Jesus Christ in Luke 24 was what? They praised him and they worshipped him. And David, David actually dances with all his might. He's so excited. His adrenaline is pumping. Shouts of praise. You know, if you watch TV shows like Dancing with the Stars or, or The Sing-Off, you hear in the background at different times, people suddenly start clapping and going, woo-woo, yoo-hoo. How do they do that in such, in these short periods of time at the right time? Well, here's why. There's a production assistant hired by the TV studio, and that person sits down front, and they have a, a large wand with red and white stripes on it that are very clear to the eyes. And when it's time for people to applaud, the person holds up the stick and waves it around, and, and everybody goes, woohoo, and they clap, woohoo. And then they bring it down and whoosh, they stop. Now, I find it terribly annoying on a show like The Sing Off that people are shouting and screaming while the people are singing. I think it's foolish, but apparently the people in Hollywood think it's a good way to generate enthusiasm for the people sitting on the couch with their remote, uh, I, I think is a psychological thing. But you see, somebody was down below holding the stick, waving it around, and then bringing it down, and taking it up, and taking it down. But when the ark came to Jerusalem, nobody waved a stick. And when Jesus Christ ascended on the right to the right hand of God the Father, nobody had to wave a stick. For He was revealed in glory to them and to you. And you can never say, I didn't know. Because the Bible speaks of His glory. It's so interesting. The first century was full of pessimism, much like today. There were schools of thought that contemplated suicide. They did. 
Why should we keep living when this world is so difficult? The Stoics, the school of the Stoics, they said, this world is so hard, I guess the best you can do is carry on with a stiff upper lip. The school of the Epicureans, you remember them philosophy in Philosophy 101, the Epicureans said, life is pointless, so eat and drink because tomorrow you die. And then along came these Christians in the first century and the second century. And they were full of joy. And they were full of praise. And they were full of hope. And they were persecuted. But they carried on with joy and praise nonetheless. And they were thrown to the lions. And they went to their death singing hymns and encouraging one another with their hope of everlasting life. Who were these people? And they changed the world with their praise, and with their joy. And they won the hearts of the people around them, like you must win the hearts of the people around you where you work and where you live and where you play. You let them know that you are full of praise for your Savior. Psalm 34.1, I told you about that verse. And the woman, as she went into the ambulance, she cries it out, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. And I trust that that will be true for you as well. What are the mightiest beings in the universe doing right now? The most powerful, more powerful than the Hulk, more powerful than Thor, more powerful than Hulk Hogan, more powerful than Albert Pujols. What are the mightiest beings in the universe doing right now? They are singing. I find it so amusing. There are in our culture, unlike other cultures, in, in most of the cultures of the world in Africa, men love to sing. Over in the United Kingdom, you ever watch their soccer matches? Men love to sing. But in America, it's somehow the guys are like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I should sing. It might show my feminine side, and I don't want to do that. I have to preserve my sense of masculinity and strength, so I will not sing. Relax. What are the mightiest beings in the universe doing right now? They are singing at the top of their lungs. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. They are singing, worthy are you, for you have created all things, and by your will they were created. They can't stop singing, and neither should you. Don't ever be embarrassed to sing to our God. Don't ever be ashamed to worship our Jesus. Why do you come to church? Why did you get out of bed, put down the New York Times, leave the TV off, get in the car, and come here today? Well, if you study, if you study... Um, uh, the effects of being a worshiping person. The Bible teach, I'm sorry, studies teach that if you are a regular attender at a worship service, you will live longer. People live longer. People are physically more healthy who regularly attend worship services. 
on studies of well-being. People who go to worship services have a higher sense of happiness and well-being than people who don't. And this is very interesting. The head of the Salvation Army on Long Island sent me uh, an email this week. He said, of, of the uh, 1.7 million people that live in Suffolk County, this is just a study of the religious tenor of Suffolk County, he said uh, only 3% of those surveyed thought that attending a worship service had any relevance to their life at all. And that would include Catholics, Protestants, and Jews. Only 3%. No wonder Long Islanders are so depressed and so upset about so many things. Hmm. I don't know about Nassau. I wouldn't think it's a whole lot different in Nassau County. You go to church, studies say you'll live longer, your sense of well-being will be high, and uh, you'll be physically much healthier. But that is not why you come to church. Why do you come? You come to sing. You come to worship. You come to praise. At our worship rehearsal, Elias and Chandia, one of our elders who sings up here sometimes, he was praying and he said to the Lord, and he won't mind me sharing this, he's now cooking the hamburgers down at the park. He said, he said, oh Lord, Sunday comes and my feet hit the ground running. And my adrenaline flows because I can't wait to be with my friends and join them in praise at the North Shore Community Church. Thank you, Lord. Didn't he pray that Thursday night? Don't ever be reluctant. Instead, I plead with you, join the chorus. Join the chorus. I'm preaching to the choir, yes. Join the chorus and encourage others to join the chorus. You see, go back to 2 Samuel 6. And as the ark came to Jerusalem, it says, all Israel rejoiced. Hmm. All Israel rejoiced. But look at verse 1 of this psalm. It says, clap your hands, all you nations shout to God with cries of joy. Why? Verse 7, for God is king of all the earth. And I think this might have been puzzling to some of the Israelites. And maybe this is puzzling to some of the Presbyterians. Why? Because, well, we're God's frozen chosen, you know, and does he really mean that those people outside are supposed to be called to come in? Yes, yes, the summons is to all the earth. Come and join the praise. You mean my neighbor? My friends in school? Guys on the football team? Yes. The people I shop with? Yes. People I work alongside of? Yes. Summon them. Call them all the earth because we see our picture of God as a missionary God. The nobles of the nations assemble. Verse 9. I love this. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of God, of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. And we studied together Genesis 12 a year ago. We studied the life of Abraham. And in the very beginning, God said in his covenant promise to Abraham, Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And now, Psalm 47 says, Summon the nobles of the nations like children of Abraham. 
And we are told in Galatians chapter 3 that all who believe in Jesus Christ are children of Abraham, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all children of Abraham. We are all one in Jesus Christ. I love this. The nations are to be gathered in because our God is a missionary God. So I hope, I hope this Christmas season, when we are told our neighbors and friends are slightly more willing to accept an invitation to come and worship, that you will fill this room on Christmas Eve. You will fill this room on Sunday the 25th, Christmas Day. That you will fill this room on the 18th when we sing the Hallelujah Chorus because everybody loves the Hallelujah Chorus. And you will summon the nobles, the executive, the wash lady, whoever it is, you will summon them to become children of Abraham. And all of it, in conclusion, ties back with the last verse, the last phrase, for he is greatly exalted. That's how it ends. He is highly exalted. Have you ever heard the hymn? We won't sing it today. Some of these hymns are difficult if you don't know them. But the hymn writer says, Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. Oh, gratefully sing His power and His love, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. That's our Christ. That's our Jesus. Will you worship Him? Let's pray together. We answer that question now, each of us, in our heart of hearts. And I invite you right now to examine your own heart. Lord, am I, am I really a worshiper? I hope whoever you are here in this room or whoever's listening over the internet, Lord, I hope that every one of these people will enjoy the horizontal nature of our church, the love we have for one another, the, 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 the happy times we have so that they can live longer and have a great sense of well-being. But Lord, we just say right now that we know the primary reason to gather is not so we could live longer, but that you would be worshipped, for you are highly exalted. Oh, Lord, where our hearts are cold, would you warm them? Where my heart is ignorant, I invite you to instruct me, because I'm your disciple. Where my heart is hard, I invite you to soften it. And where my sight is dull to your glory, open my eyes 